This is the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Episode 4. I'm your host, Wes McAdams, and on today's episode, we'll be discussing Follow Me As I Follow Christ. But before we get into the show, I want to thank our sponsor, Campaign Capitol Hill, which is a grassroots effort by Churches of Christ aimed at raising awareness in the Brotherhood on the fine line between politics and religion, preaching the gospel to our nation's leaders, focusing on repentance and God's standard of morality, and reaching lost souls with the saving grace of Jesus Christ. You can find Campaign Capitol Hill on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hill or on their website at campaigncapitolhill.com for more information on how to join the march for God's word. Okay, I'm sitting here today with a new guest, uh, Mike Bonner. Mike, how you doing, brother? Doing good. Good, good to see you. I'm excited about having you here, brother. Yes, sir. This will be a good discussion. And I'm here with Sam Dominguez. Sam, how are you? Hey, glad to still be anchoring the second chair. Fantastic. I guess I'm bumped to third chair at this point. When, no. when Mike comes in, I get bumped down. No, we don't rank people here. <laughs> Amen. We're all brothers. That's right. Only one chair is behind a desk, isn't it? it, it, it I was going to say it's a round table, <laughs> but now you just gave it away that it's a desk. People didn't know. They were listening. Sam, what you got on your mind today, brother? Well, uh, as we've been doing these podcasts, uh, we've been getting feedback from different people. And I got some feedback from my dad, who uh, commended us, thought we were doing something was worthwhile, that we were having these conversations, that we were modeling something that uh, our fellow Christians should be doing, having spiritual conversations. And of course, that was kind of the point. We were hoping to encourage people to have spiritual conversations with their fellow Christians and and help come to a, a better understanding of the truth, uh, working together that way. And while he was telling me that, he referenced uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And I tell you guys, that, that scripture just terrifies me. It always has, and, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe it always will. Maybe you guys will make me feel better about it. But, I mean, just the boldness of Paul in that situation to simultaneously, in the face of his imperfection, and he's always honest about his imperfection, to then say, also, as an example in the difficult situation that he has just been talking them through, to say, look at me, do what I would do, because I'm doing what Christ would do. And just the boldness of that, and and how that flies in the face of what the world wants from Christians or expects from Christians. You know, how dare we put ourselves up as an example? And you look at, you know, in all of popular culture, if any Christian ever falls down, if any Christian ever demonstrates even the slightest problem, boom, you you pounce on them like a pack of wolves and you tear them to shreds and everything, because how dare we be imperfect if we will hold ourselves up as as an example? But is that something that we are called to do? To, to tell people to look to us as we look to Christ? Or what do you guys think? I say yes. And the reason why I say yes is because Paul is our example. And when we think about the example that Paul left for us, we understand Romans 7, Romans 8. We see that uh, his very lifestyle, when he was confronted with the law, the law is what showed him he was wrong. And But he understood that there was no condemnation in Christ. And, and that's the key, no condemnation in Christ. That doesn't mean that Paul went out and lived a life of sin. Romans 6 teaches that. He didn't do that. As a matter of fact, he got on the Romans because of that. When, when I think about uh, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, I try to live up to it. I want people to follow me. I want my children to follow me. Uh, I confess fault to the church. And I've had members say, 
you know, we really never had a, a, a minister say he had sinned. I say, well, I was a Christian before I was a minister, and I was looking to Paul before I started preaching. So if, if I'm struggling with sin, and I do from time to time, I confess fault. But I don't just say I have sinned. I tell them what I've done. Now, that flies over the face over a lot of brethren. But I would rather confess it up front than to lie about it and then be made to confess on the back end. Mm-hmm. Those are my thoughts. Well, and, you know, I think one thing that I think the tendency is to read 1 Corinthians 11.1 1, as if Paul is saying, I am exactly like Jesus, so follow me. But I don't think that's what he's saying. I think he's saying, follow me as I am a follower of Jesus. I know Mike had this conversation with his son, because after I had this conversation with my son, I told him about it, and he said that he had a similar conversation. And I told my boy, who's six years old, I told him, I, I asked him about who he wanted to be when he grew up, what did he wanted to be like, and, and he said he wanted to be like me, and I said, okay. I said, well, watch me, and I will show you how to be a Christian. Now, I'm not saying watch me and because I'm exactly like Jesus. I'm saying, watch me and I'll show you how to be a follower of Jesus. And I think that's what Paul is saying is, watch me and I will show you what a follower of Jesus does. Now that includes, like what you just said, Mike, it includes repentance. It includes confession. Jesus didn't have to repent or confess anything. He was perfect. And Paul wasn't claiming to be perfect, but he was claiming to be a genuine follower of Jesus. And if we are genuine followers of Jesus, any of us should and, and should be able to say that and should say that, should be able to look at somebody and say, watch me and I'll show you how to be a Christian. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means that when I mess up, I'll show you what it looks like to repent. Now, I think it's fascinating that both of you went to uh, our children. And of course, that's that's something that I feel uh, absolutely responsible for. I feel directed that I go to my children and I say, you look to me. Because I, I feel the burden of that responsibility of I have to be the model of Christianity to my children. I have to be the model of fatherhood to my son. I have to be the model for all these different things that the Christian does. And yet that's a circumstance where you know we are directly responsible for our children in that regard. How much more difficult is it to then also say to people for which we are not directly responsible— for whom we have no control or, or even input sometimes in the decisions that they're going to make, and tell them also to look to me. I mean, that's, that's a difficult thing. That's a bold thing to have to do, but I think it's something that we should do. But the difficulty on it's going to be, well, am I actually fulfilling all of these things? Or am I really saying, look to me in these few areas of Christianity, because I'm comfortable modeling those for you, um, but don't look to me when it comes to repentance, because I'm not good at acknowledging my failure. Uh, You know, when it goes to your children, do I tell my son, look to me as an example for how you apologize to your wife? Or is my son going to grow up having never seen me apologize to my wife? Yeah, or even, you know, something we've talked about a lot already in the podcast is uh, our study habits. You know, so many Christians might be comfortable saying, watch me and I'll show you how to be a good moral person, or watch me and I'll show you how to go to worship once a week, but don't, you should study the Bible, son, or you should study the Bible, neighbor, or you should study the Bible, whomever, but don't don't look at me as an example for that, because I don't do that. You know, and it's like, okay, well, why don't you start? That, that'd be a good place to start. And I, and, and that is extremely humbling, but 
all it is is acknowledging the fact of what already is. I mean, people are already watching us, and they are already going to imitate us, are already going to draw conclusions about what a Christian is and who a Christian is based on what they see in us. And they might look at us and say, all Christians are hypocrites, because that guy's a hypocrite. Well, and, and a lot of people have come to that conclusion, not because all Christians are hypocrites, but because some of the Christians that they've come in contact were, with were hypocrites. And you're 100% right. Um, when I think about what we're talking about, just today, I was thanking God for accountability. I thank God that I'm held accountable for my life. I thank God that people can look at my life and see the flaws in it. Why? Because I tell them what they are. We live in a society, y'all, that they are afraid to talk about the flaws. But we talk about Jesus and we say, well, don't judge me. Well, well, why would I say that? Why would you say that if there were no flaws? I have flaws. I know I have flaws. But my flaws are not a lifestyle. And that's a big difference. If I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I thank God that I'm held accountable by brethren, by my wife, by my children. This is what I think about when it comes to being held accountable. Before I take the thoughts of another woman into my heart and let them roll around in my mind, I think about the end result. And I think about looking little Mike in the eye and say, you know what, daddy really messed up. And all these years I told you about being faithful. I guess I lied. Mm -mm, that's my accountability. And I praise God that him and I, through the word, have an accountability. I don't have to have another man to check me, even though it's good when brethren do. God checks me. My wife used to always tell me, I ain't got to go chasing you around. The all CNI sees everything you do, Mike. That used to scare me to <laughs> death. But now it doesn't because I want God to see what I'm doing. <laughs> well, you know, isn't it true that what the world really wants is a lifestyle of no moral accountability? Yes. Because in the end, you know, and they'll and they'll promote it in terms of, well, this is actually a good thing and not a bad thing, and we can't deny the rights of these people, or why should we think this is bad in relation to this and everything? But in the end, they're not really fighting for or against anything in particular. Those just happen to be useful examples. What they really want is no accountability. Yes. What they really want is to be able to not ever have to admit that they were wrong. Yes. And it's such a bizarre thing because I would much rather live in a world where there is a moral standard, there is an accountability, there is someone who will hold me to that, where I might be found out wrong, I might be caught out incorrect in whatever behavior that I am actually participating in, rather than have one where there is no standard so that that can never happen. Yes. But in the end, that's, that's what the world wants. They want no standard so that there is no accountability, but that, that creates a horrible, horrible place. It create, it's chaotic. As a matter of fact, one thing I love about preaching is that I get to hear myself while I preach. And one thing that I love about Jesus Christ is that he is going to be my judge in the end. John 5, 22. He's going to be my judge. And I would rather be told that I'm wrong now than for him to tell me later. That's accountability. And I love his law. I love his accountability. I haven't always been that way, 
but the the closer we get to God, the more honest we are, the more we love his accountability. You find someone that don't like accountability, you'll find someone that don't love Jesus. Well, isn't isn't that really the key, you know, I mean, how many of us have heard the old preacher story about how they they used to hate the the song about the all-seeing eye and mm-hmm. so on, and so on because it it seemed like this threatening force that was just waiting for you to make a mistake yes. and everything. And and when you look at it, I'm sure we've all felt that way to one time or another, but when you really look at it and you look at it in the light of the whole of Scripture, you realize that having that person there is your protection. Yes. It is your salvation. And as fathers, we should be demonstrating that very thing for our children. You know, there is simultaneously the position that a father has to hold where when a child makes a mistake, he doesn't want to have to be held accountable to dad because he knows dad will. But when a child is faced with something dangerous and scary, there is no other person that he would have with him but dad. Yes. Because he recognizes the salvation and the safety that can be found in that. And it's like you said, it's truly when we've been talking about root causes for things, you know, what are you actually striving for? Are you striving to please God? You're not going to find accountability to be a burden on your back if what you're seeking to do is please God. But how many of us, pleasing God is something that we try and do off to the side, or it should be a byproduct of some other activity that we take place in, but it's not the sole motivating force behind every action that we take. You know, all these words, we're talking about accountability, but I I keep thinking about things like sincerity and transparency. The beautiful thing about it is, when we truly love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, and we love our neighbor as ourself, we can say, hey, I'm an open book, man. I mean, look at my life. Look at what I say. You know, Am I perfect? No, absolutely not. But I sincerely, from the inside out, want to please my God, so examine me. Look at me. I think about what Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4. He said, be an example to the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. When you're loving God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and you're loving your neighbor as yourself, and you're faithful to the Lord, we should be able to say, my life's an open book. I've got nothing to hide. Now, obviously, there are things we say and do that you know we, we have to be wise and discerning, but, but we really don't have anything to be afraid of. We don't have anything to be afraid of with the Lord, and we don't have to be afraid of being found out and being caught in, in some kind of a lie or being a hypocrite. When we're not a hypocrite, we don't have to worry about somebody finding out with, that we are one. Or maybe I have made some mistakes in the past, and if someone checks me on it or calls me to their attention— my first response is, yeah, I did that. Not try to find a way out of it. Right. Because I'm genuine. I'm mm-hmm. sincere. I'm honest. Someone checks me on it? Yeah, I did that. And, and what if you didn't even know that you did it? If, if you are a sincere, genuine follower of Jesus Christ, and somebody says, Mike, the other day you, you cut me off in traffic or you ignored me or whatever, and they call you on it and you, didn't, you weren't aware that you made that mistake— then we're thankful, and we say, oh, man, I'm so sorry I did that. I appreciate you bringing that to our to my attention. It's the people that aren't really trying to follow Jesus, that are living hypocritical lives, that they don't, they don't want you to... Ca- so it's easy to become defensive, and I say they like I've never done... I, you know, certainly I've fallen into that trap, and where I get defensive because... I, I don't want you to know that I'm not perfect, you know, and so get to fit. Well, I only did that because of this, and I was busy, and, and this, that making excuses. Man, if we're an open book, and somebody comes to us and says, hey, you messed up, 
man, I so appreciate you, and I repent of that, and I am sorry I did that. I apologize to you, and I apologize to the Lord. And we're thankful when people call us on things. We're thankful for the accountability, like you said. Is, isn't it... I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. This is one of those kind of pet bugaboos that I've got about things. But I honestly think that that Satan, through the world, has actively tried to make people misunderstand the idea of hypocrisy. Yes. Because the world treats any mistake whatsoever as hypocrisy. If you uphold the moral standard that you then fail to reach, why that's hypocrisy, which nothing could be further from the truth. Right. That's true. But that is that is what they try and nail any type of Christian, and in truth, any type of moral person too. If you uphold some standard that you then fail to meet, well, you're, you're just a complete hypocrite. You're lower than dirt. You're worse than the person who upheld no moral standard and dug to the depths of that every single time. And it is such a ridiculous premise, but once again, it's one out of selfishness. It's one that's self-protecting. It's Mm -hmm. the shield you get to throw up that keeps you from ever being held accountable. But there's an awful lot of people in the church, and even, even, you know, just pithy comments from the pulpit that succumb to that understanding. And, And instead of correcting people and saying, no, that is not at all how the Bible instructs us about how to deal with mistakes, how to recognize that when you've made a mistake and been you know, discovered, that you should be thankful and that you change it and that you now's the time to discover your mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to take care of it beforehand. You know, but how many of us have heard a preacher, you know, from the pulpit giving his little pithy comment about, well, so and so said, Well, I don't ever want to come to your church because it's just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, Well, we got room for one more. Yeah. And it's like, hey, hey, that was such a great moment. And you know, and no, the response should have been, no, sir, there are not hypocrites here that we're aware of. Right. Because that is not something that God tolerates. Mm-hmm. He doesn't tolerate, and we'll just go ahead and make the distinction, he doesn't tolerate someone who professes Christ and then secretly, actively works against Christ. Mm-hmm. And that is not what a saint who makes mistakes or a saint who sins is. Right. If people understood that a, a hypocrite is an actor, I mean, it was a stage actor. And so when Jesus accuses the the Pharisees of being hypocrites, or when Paul, you know, called out Peter for being a hypocrite, he was saying, you're an actor. You're acting one way, and in reality, you're something else. You're a fraud. You're a phony. You're a fake. And are there Christians like that? Absolutely, there are people that masquerade as Christians, and in the darkness, they're, they're, they're living horrible lives. Absolutely, 100%. I couldn't agree more. And they're bringing reproach upon the church. But for the most part, Christians are not hypocrites. Christians are, if they are following Christ, are imperfect people, as Paul was, but are trying their dead-level best to be who Christ called them to be. You make an excellent point, both of y'all. And one person I thought about was Peter. When he denied the Lord three times, Jesus didn't say, you hypocrite. He didn't say that. He said, when you are converted, strengthen your brother. When you're turned around, did Jesus condone what he did? Jesus knew what he was going to do. This is a growth process. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word. I'm sure that Most of us didn't get where we are overnight. There was a time in my own personal life that my Christianity looked like two different lifestyles. But the more I grew in Christ, I'm talking about Mike Bonner, Mm -hmm. 
the more you see one man. And the man that you see in the day is the man you see at night. Because I've worked on that man. I had to do that. Jesus didn't make me do it. I made my mind up to do it with the word of God and with prayer and meditation. Good brethren helped me to be the person I am today. Putting Accountability. To, that's right. Putting to death the flesh is a process. It's you know, process. I mean, the, the, the problem, they say, the problem with the living sacrifice, we're supposed to make ourselves a living sacrifice. The problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling down off the altar. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's a constant putting to death that old man. And when we first start, man, it's hard. And that all the more reason for us more mature Christians to be, to be open and transparent about our past and our present with younger, immature Christians and say, hey, brother, listen, that's wrong. You're wrong for living that way. Don't do that. But listen, I know because I was there. Watch me. I'll show you how to get past that. Watch me. I'll show you how to be a better husband. I'll show you how to be a better dad. Man, that's humbling. to, to, I mean, I get chills, those words coming out of my mouth because I don't feel qualified to do that. But we ought to. We, we better be doing that because they're watching us anyway, and if they come to the conclusion, it doesn't matter how I live because Wes has been a Christian for a long time, and he's a preacher, and, and he doesn't care what he does. Well, and I mean that, that reminds me of what Mike uh, said earlier on about how uh, confessing sins before the congregation and they're not used to that. Isn't, isn't that same scenario the same one that creates the perception that our church leaders are somehow greater Christians or different Christians, the Christians without sin, you know, and, and then one of them makes a mistake and it's just earth shattering to your faith. And I said, well, that, that shouldn't shake you. It should be something that, well, yes, I understand that he is a fallible individual. Let's go pray. Let's go work together on this thing. But, you know, talking about that correlation between Paul and Peter, one of those things that I absolutely love about it, because you've got Paul, who's the late coming apostle, and you've got Peter, who's kind of the pinnacle of the apostles, or at least that's that's how we view him. I know that he would he would chastise me for even saying something like that. Well, Bible says but, seeming to be pillars in the church, right? You know, but the, they that's who these guys were, and they have this conflict, and Paul has to call Peter out and call him to repentance and correction in his behavior, and then later on, when people are questioning Paul's authority, it's Peter that writes. And defends him yes. and says, he is an apostle. He does have this authority. And so you see the example from both of them, you know, of Paul being willing to go to someone and say, this needs to change. And Peter changed. He fixed it. And then he didn't go around holding a grudge against Paul, waiting to find something that he could say against Paul, waiting for this golden opportunity when he could diss Paul. No, he appreciated that. He loved the accountability that it brought to him. And when he had this golden opportunity, he defended Paul. And then hope hopefully that's what we're doing. You know, I was I was making a joke with with Wes earlier about how you know, on my own I would never record my thoughts and allow anyone to listen to them, but I've surrounded myself with people who hold me to account and prompt me to do things that I otherwise wouldn't do. But you have to be deliberate about that because it is just as easy to surround yourself with people who if not holding you back, they're certainly not going to prod you forward. You know, earlier you said something, and it reminded me right now, this is why I have so much respect for the apostles, especially Peter and Paul, especially for that situation that took place. Solomon said, if you rebuke a wise man, he'll love you. If you rebuke a fool, he'll hate you. And I've always trained my children, Mm. which one are you? 
because I had to ask myself, Mike, which one are you? So the very fact that Peter, he was a wise man, that he was able to accept that rebuke publicly, mind you, and then turn around and say, Paul, he's a good man. He's a godly man. We ought to listen to what he has to say. That's really, that's us. And if you find a person that when you correct them, they get mad and hate you, you already know. You're dealing with a fool. Leave the fool alone. Man, that's a phenomenal <laughs> point. And, and Man, I don't like being nailed that hard in the midst of this conversation. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, every time I read Proverbs, it humbles me. I yes. mean, to, to hear Solomon say things like, he who hates reproof is stupid. I mean, it's wow. True. I mean, because, I mean, I don't like it, but the, the, the question isn't whether or not we like to be reproved or corrected. The, the question is whether or not we're willing to accept it, whether or not we're willing to change and, and to say, you know what? You're right. You're right. It hurts, but you're right, and I'm wrong, and and I'm going to do it differently from now on. Rather than getting defensive and saying, "No, you're the one that's wrong, and you're not perfect either," and don't come and don't judge me until you have your life perfect. That kind of attitude doesn't have any place in the church. And so, if we're going to be examples to people and say, "Hey, watch me, and and I'll show you what it looks like to follow Jesus," then we're going to have to be the kind of people that are willing to accept reproof when it comes my way. And Peter could say the same thing, even though. I don't have record of him saying exactly that, but he could look at at the people that he was influencing and teaching and say, watch me, I'll show you how to follow Jesus. And and part of that is when Brother Paul corrected me, and I changed, you know, and that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. You take correction. How, how many of us, we will do anything to keep from looking foolish, mm-hmm. to keep from looking stupid, and yet the one thing we're not afraid of is to stare into the mirror and see the stupid man looking back, to see the fool in the mirror. And yet that's what we should see. That's what, that's what that verse should convict us of, is, man, when Wes pointed this out to me, when Mike pointed this out to me, I didn't appreciate it. And it made me think less of him for correcting me. And then when I go look in that mirror, I need to recognize that I'm looking at a fool staring back at me. Being conformed to the image of Christ is exactly what you just said. And let me tell you why. Being conformed to the image of Christ means that someone else might have to correct you, which means that if since Christ is the ultimate example and we're fallible, that means there's room for improvement. That means somebody has to call you to the carpet every now and then. I'm going to say this and I'm going to be done. That's why we need a good wife. Amen. A good wife will check you. There's, there's this saying, you need to check up from the neck up before you wreck up. That's true. <laughs> that is 100% right because yeah. if you're not checked, you will wreck yourself. That's right. That's right. Guys, I appreciate this conversation. This is awesome. It helps me and I hope it helps somebody else. Thank you guys. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. We hope this discussion inspires you to have these kinds of spiritual discussions with people in your life. If you have a question or a topic you'd like for us to discuss, please call and leave us a short voicemail at 707 238 2216. That's 707-238-2216. Remember, we love you, God loves you, and we hope you have a wonderful day. Boom, 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 boom.